just going to walk through this verse this morning. If you are a normal attender uh, and follow in our notes, you'll notice this morning my notes are not um, traditional. wasn't really able to work it into my traditional sermon form. And so what I want us to do is just walk through this verse one statement at a time. If my people, what I want to preach on this morning, if my people. First thing I want you to note is the simple term, my. God says that His people belong to Him. The Bible teaches us that God is a jealous God. In other words, He doesn't want to share us with anybody else. And there is such a thing as the true people of God. God says they are mine, and when you are truly saved, you no longer belong to yourself or anyone else. You belong to God. God has the right to tell you how to live, how to walk, and what to do. God says they are mine, and there is a certain distinction that should mark us as the people of God. We should be different. In fact, the Bible says, Uh, God commands His people to come out from among them, talking about the rest of the world, and be separate. God says to be holy as He is holy. When God says that we are to be separate, this is not about where, as much as it is about what we are. In other words, when He says to be separate, it's not about leaving the world. In fact, we are to be in the world. Jesus told his disciples when uh, just before he left them, he told them to go into the world and make disciples, ultimately preaching and proclaiming all the things that he had preached and taught, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And so it's when we are told to be separate, it's not telling us to remove ourselves from the presence of the world, but rather in the way that we live, we are to be separate. There's a certain way that God's sons and daughters are to walk. It should be noticeable, not only to God, but to the world around us. It should be noticeable that we are different in the way we love each other, in the way we love people, in the compassion that we walk with, and the way that we speak, our very demeanor, the very, just the, the, the being around us, the world should be able to look at God's people and say, that is God's people. Now, in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, we have God's uh, dealing with His people, explaining to His people in the event that His people stray, which we do, This is the way back. You have to understand that it starts with us. I want you to look. We're going to come back to 2 Chronicles chapter 7. But I want you to look at 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 17. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? I want you to note a couple quick things about this verse before we come back to our main text. Notice when it speaks of us, 
when it speaks of the household of God, it says of us that we are those who, quote, obey the gospel. It is not possible to be a Christian and not obey the gospel. True Christianity is more than some mental assent that Jesus is the Son of God. True Christianity is more than some prayer that you pray that somebody leads you through into saying, you know, that you believe in Jesus and ask for forgiveness. You truly want to be saved. You've got to repent and follow Christ and obey the gospel. Now, here's what it says of those who obey the gospel. Here's what it says about the household of God. Judgment begins with us. Do you realize judgment has a place in the house of God? And God is ultimately the one that brings the judgment. That's what this is dealing with here. It's not necessarily talking about us judging one another. But if God judges His people, then there is a precedent for right, true, righteous judgment in the house of God. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, we've been duped by the devil when we think there is no place for Christian accountability. Often that's what we call Christian accountability, judgment. Don't judge me, don't judge me, don't judge me. It's amazing to me how little we actually know the Scriptures. Judge not, lest ye be not judged. Judge not, lest ye be not judged. you know who that was spoken to? A bunch of religious... Pharisees who had become rich off the backs of the poor, who had polluted the temple of God, turned it into a place of profit, used their position to elevate themselves above the people, and then those same people turned around and judged everybody else. Jesus said to those folks, judge not, lest you be also judged. And he said, and the measure with which you judge, you will be judged. Understand, that applies to all of us. But it's not telling us not to judge in any degree or whatsoever. That's insanity. You go in the New Testament, uh, I think uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and we have the Apostle Paul telling the church that, hey, what is going on? Some nasty, awful fornication happening in the church. Stuff that even the Gentiles wouldn't do. And here's what he said, get that man out of the church. Now, how can you do that without making a judgment that what he did was wicked, what he did was evil, and it had no place in the house of God? You know, Jesus, you might remember the story. He said to, to be careful trying to remove the, the speck out of your brother's eye when, when you have a plank in your own. But he went on to say this, first, remove the plank from your eye then you will see clearly to help your brother remove the speck out of his. The principle is this, judge yourself first. That's the principle. The principle is get yourself right with God. Make sure you're walking with God. Make sure you're, but before you start trying to help everybody else. But make no mistake about it, judgment begins in the house of God. It starts with us. That's the point this morning. That whole verse, back to our uh, verse, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter, or 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14. God says, if there's a problem in the land, it ultimately lays at the feet of my people. 
We want to see revival. We want to see an awakening. And we want to see God do something great. It starts with us, brothers and sisters. And I'm going to tell you what I believe with all of my heart. It is possible. We will not see the world, the globe, change. The Bible teaches us that in the end, men's hearts will wax cold. The love of many will wax cold. That there's going to be a great falling away. The wickedness is going to abound. Jesus said, when I return to earth, will I even find faith on it at all? The Bible teaches us that the world as a whole is going to continue on this destructive path of rejecting God. That said, it does not have to apply to my world, my home, my marriage, my household, my church, my community. And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, if you and I, it starts with us, if God said, if my people will humble themselves, do these things, turn from their wicked ways, he said, then I will hear from heaven. It starts with us. He said, if my people called by my name... What name is that? It is the name above every name. It is the only name that saves. The Bible tells us there's not a name on earth that can save anybody except the name of Jesus Christ. There are not many gods. There is only one. All others are false gods and they cannot save. There is only one that saves. In the Old Testament, God made Himself known to us by the name Yahweh or Jehovah. Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. Jehovah Shalom, He is the God of peace. Jehovah Rophi, He is the God who heals. Jehovah Nissi, God our banner, gives us the idea of the one who goes before us in a place of war. Adonai, He is Master or Lord. Elohim means strength or power. He is the name that is above all names. He says, if my people who are called by that name, it is a very select group of people. It is clearly identifying those of us who are believers in the one true God of Scripture. Now here's what he said. Here's the the path. Number one, they have to humble themselves. Oh, brothers and sisters, we have to humble ourselves. I mentioned it last week. I'm going to quickly mention it again. I've got a sermon series coming up in um, possibly January called There Are No Rich Men in Heaven. That's what Jesus said. None. It's impossible for a rich man to be saved. It has more to do with humility than it really has to do with wealth. But here's the problem. We're not willing to humble ourselves. Too proud to acknowledge our own sins. Too proud to care about our own sins. Too proud to be taught anything. I've had the privilege of doing almost 20 years now of pastoral ministry, which includes counseling. And with 20 years of experience, literally thousands of counseling sessions. This is the truth. Most of the time, people aren't willing to learn anything. Not always, but I'm telling you it's the truth most of the time. Most of the time, whether, let's say marriage counseling. 
Husband shows up. He's already decided before he ever walked in the doors what he believes and what he's willing to listen to and what he's not. Wife already showed up. She knows exactly what needs to be done, what needs to be said. She's already made up her mind. And their whole goal is just to get to use me. To use me to bring about change in the other. But nobody's really willing to learn anything. When here's the reality. All of us got room for change. But you know what? We're not willing to change. I, I'm not even willing to acknowledge I've got a part in this. I'm not, a, not willing to acknowledge some of this is my fault until, first of all, he does, or first of all, she does, and let's talk about him, or let's talk about her. We have, we're living in this weird culture um, where, back to this idea of judgment beginning in the house of God, we're, we're just not willing to let anybody Challenges on anything whatsoever. We're not willing to learn. We're not willing to be challenged. At the end of the day, we're too prideful. We're not willing to humble ourselves. We're not willing to learn anymore. God said you've got to be willing to humble yourself. You want to see His hand on your life? You want to see Him here from heaven? You want to see Him heal your land? You've got to humble yourself. Throughout the years, and listen, I, there is no precedent in the Bible, none. This shows us that when Jesus preached, he set up altars. You know, his disciples didn't bring the altars around with them everywhere and then set them up, and then Jesus stood behind the altars like I am here, and then he preached, and then when he, when he was done, he said, come to the altar. That, there's none of that in the Scripture. Now, what we do have in the Scripture is the concept of people responding publicly. That's what happened over and over again. Jesus said, you're not willing to respond publicly in front of everybody. You're ashamed of me. Then my father's going to be ashamed of you. There is a precedent for responding publicly. That said, I get it that there is no law that says you've got to pray at an altar. But I will tell you this. I say it cautiously, carefully and nervously a little bit. Throughout the years, I've hardly ever seen men be used of God much in a real, honest, powerful, anointed way who are too stinking prideful to kneel at an altar. It is the proud man who says, I will never kneel at an altar. And you will never. If that's your attitude, if that's your heart about it, that you will never kneel at an altar in front of other people, then rest assured, you're not in the right place you need to be with God. You need to humble yourself, sir. You need to humble yourself, ma'am. And I've seen this sense of just nasty pride that rises up in us as Christians that keeps us from being honest about our needs, keeps us from being honest and just admitting to God when we've truly failed and when we've sinned and when we need forgiveness and when we've done a brother or sister wrong or it, it, we, we spin it, we make excuses for our actions. God says you've got to humble yourself. We're not willing to admit our apathy is part of the problem. Apathy, you know what that word means? It just means being lazy. It means being satisfied to the point that really you know that there's things that need change, but you don't care enough to do anything about it. It's just, that's what apathy means. I have to tell you the truth. 
When we go through years like we do in 2020, one of the things I find myself conflicted in, because I know it was a bad year, and I know a lot of people were hurt, and I know that um, if we could all go back over and erase it, we probably would. But there's a part of me that I find it really difficult getting on the bandwagon of let's pray it all goes away. Because one of the greatest problems we face as American Christians is that we are too apathetic. Because we have everything we need, everything we want, and when I look at the history of the church, I see that it flourished most when it wasn't getting everything it wanted, when it didn't have everything it needed, and the people had to find this reliance on God in such a way that almost their lives depended on it. God, if you don't show up, we're going to die here. And it is in those moments we see the church flourish and we see people grow in their faith. And I have a difficult time praying that if we're headed that direction, that it doesn't come. Because I want to see revival in the hearts of God's people. I want to see the church awakened. I want to see us come up out of this apathy and out of this slumber and out of this sleep that we're in where we have a a sense of desire and a longing to see God move every time that we show up, to see the Holy Spirit fall in a way where lives are transformed and sinners are saved. The words that we talk when we speak, our words have life and power in them. We've got to be willing to humble ourselves. Sometimes we're just too proud and too, we're not even willing to confess. Confess our faults. You know, the Bible teaches us to confess our faults to one another. It doesn't mean that every one of you that's done something wrong that you're supposed to get on the stage and publicly confess it to all, you know, people that are in the room. But it does mean when you've done somebody wrong, you need to go to them, make it right. What it means. But often we're all too stinking prideful to do that. We just want to sweep our sins under the carpet. You know, there's no reconciliation when that happens. You ever been done wrong by anybody that refused to acknowledge they did you wrong? I mean, you learn to go on, you learn how to live life. It's not like life ends. But you know good and well there's never any true reconciliation. You can forgive. But there's not true reconciliation. I mean, meaningful relationship that will ever really happen again until that person acknowledges what they did was wrong and just asks for forgiveness. If I steal $50 out of your wallet, don't say a thing about it, and you know I did it, and I know I did it, and the rest, we just want to go on and never talk about it, and I'm never going to acknowledge it, there's just no way that you're ever going to really trust me and we're going to be in a right relationship until I say, listen, I know what I did was wrong. You know what I did was wrong. I stole that money right out of your wallet, and I'm sorry. And someone with a true repentant heart will do what they can to make it right. Now, this is how we need to be with each other, but what's wild is we do the same thing to God and think that somehow everything's okay. Here we see the idea that you got to turn from your wickedness. You go to the New Testament in the, in the book of 1 John, and you know what we're told? That, that God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins when. There's not a period after that. It's not just like God is faithful and just to forgive our sins, period. It says when we confess them. 
there's that same principle that there has to be this humbling of ourselves before God and this acknowledging that, God, we've broken your law. We have done wrong. We went our own way. We didn't trust you. We didn't obey you. God, forgive us. We've got to humble ourselves. Number two, we've got to pray. He says that they humble themselves and pray. There has never been a great spiritual awakening recorded in the history of the church that was not preceded by prayer. Even when you start in Acts chapter 2, you know what the people were doing? They were in the upper room praying. That's what they were doing. When you study even revivals and awakenings from, this, from, from that time, Acts chapter 2, all the way up to the current time, there is this one consistent truth that it is, there is this, a person or most often a group of people who are burdened to pray for their community or whatever the need is, and in response to people praying, God moves. Now here's what's fascinating to me. God is capable of doing whatever He wants without our prayers. Yet He chooses to respond to them. And when God is trying to get his people to do something so that God in turn will move on their behalf, he tells his people to pray. All too often, we fail to truly pray. Why? Prayer is a spiritual business, but it is unfortunately neglected by so many. I want us for a moment, no hands, but I just pray this morning the Holy Spirit will take what I'm about to do in the next two minutes here and just do something in your life with it. How many minutes a day do you pray? Now listen, I pray for my breakfast, I pray for food just about any time that I eat. Um, my wife and I pray with our kids almost every night before we go to bed. Those don't count as minutes for me. God, thank you for this day, thank you for this food, bless it to nourish my body, in Jesus' name, amen. That's not what I'm talking, now I think we should pray for those things. But when I'm asking about prayer, how much time do you spend in prayer, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about getting away, you and God, asking God to move in your life, reveal to you the things in your life that he's wanting to work on, that he's wanting to change, spending some time asking God to move in our community, move in your family, meet this need, that, with, with, whether it's be children or parents or neighbors or, 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 or work, whatever it might be. How much time do you spend praying for me each week? Of all the time that you had last week, how many of you spent one minute in prayer asking that God would anoint me this morning to preach? No hands. How many of you spent one minute in prayer asking God to bring people into the doors this morning who need a touch from God and then showed up expecting that God was going to meet that need? I'm telling you, if we're honest, we would be shocked to find out probably nine out of ten people in here didn't spend one minute minute in prayer this entire week about those things. 
But we're having good church, aren't we? Great worship team, man, they're awesome. Good preacher, can't that guy preach? Man, we got good services. To desire an awakening, to desire a real revival in your own life, in this church, in this community, and neglect personal prayer is to wish for one thing and receive another. Because you can desire it all day long, brothers and sisters. God is not moved by our desires. He is moved by our prayers. Out of all the duties that we have, I don't think there's any that is more neglected than prayer. And Hudson Taylor, he, he basically said it this way. Prayer can move men and change circumstances alone. In other words, I don't even have to talk to somebody to actually see change in their life if I am able to get a hold of God and God move on behalf of my prayer in that need. It's an incredible thought. Now, why is prayer so neglected? I don't think that that's a super easy answer that I'll be able to tackle this morning. But I will tell you there's a direct connection to two things. Our work and our love for God. Now watch this. What happens often is we get too busy doing work. And all of a sudden, we're like, you know, I, you know I, I studied, I showed up to church, I tithed, I did this, I did that, I helped here, I helped that, I'm on this thing, I'm on that thing, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. And, and it's like we're doing all these things, so it must not matter too much that I'm not praying. But you will find that when you neglect prayer, I mean real prayer, this is where we seek the face of God, that's what he said, pray and seek my face, that place where you know him. It's like it gives that true life and anointing to your work, right? Remember when Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, and he's really, he's like using hyperbole. He's really putting it up there. You know, it's not just works. He's like, if I give everything I have to the poor, you know, if I give my body up to be burned, like if I give it all, if I speak with great eloquence, if I can teach the mysteries of heaven, but I don't have love, he says, it is nothing. He says, I'm basically like a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. In other words, I'm an annoying noise. That's the way most of the world hears us. An annoying noise. Our words don't actually have power. They don't have life. They're just annoying noises. And that love that Paul's talking about, it's not just like a joyful person, right? It's not like a personality style, like there's a certain group of us that are more loving than others, and those are the, those are the ones that God uses. It's like a deep, true love that comes from knowing him. And we can't know him if we are not with him. I'm reminded of what Paul told, or excuse me, Jesus in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, where we, we have the seven churches that Jesus is addressing. 
and most of them he has something pretty good to say about, but he has something negative to say about them too. And one of the churches, Jesus says, look, I know what you do. You guys work like crazy. I know your works. I see you. You're busy. Yes, you do this, and you do that, and you do that, and you got doctrine right. I mean, you guys know what is true, and you know what is false. But I have this against you. You have left the love that you had at first. He told them to repent and do the first works over again. So here's what Jesus says. So, yeah, so, so your tithing, check. Your, your giving, check. Your, your coming to church, check. Your studying, check. Your, your, your serving here, check. You're doing all this, check. But are you really loving God? You, are you seeking the face of God? And the answer there is no. He says all those things, they don't matter. Man, I hesitate talking about myself because I don't ever want to... Listen, I've got my faults and my failures big time. I'm not trying to build myself up this morning. But I have been asked, and I mean it sincerely, I've been asked more times than I know. How you, how's your guys' ministry been so successful? We're a church plant. You don't see church plants do what this has happened here. We've had six people saved in the last in the month of December alone. That's awesome. We see new life happen regularly. It's just the truth. It's like wherever, whether it's here, whether we go across seas and help ministries there or launch ministries, it's like wherever we go, God's doing something and it's flourishing. And I've been asked a lot of times, what's the secret? There is no secret. I actually believe this stuff and I live it. It's not hard. I don't even know how much time I spent yesterday just praying for one message today, just one. I couldn't, I mean, I could probably sit down and try to figure it out, but I'll tell you, it's more minutes than I know right now. I just live it. I just do it. There's no secret. But what breaks my heart is how few truly seek God and spend time with God. And I'm telling you, there's just something that happens when I spend time with God where my heart's ignited and there's a fire there and it, all of a sudden I, it's like i got to get it out. I've got to share what's going on in here. I made a fire yesterday. And I was reminded, fires require tending. Most of us just want some flurry of a fire and then we don't want to tend it and we don't want to put fresh wood on it and we don't want to spend time in prayer and we don't want to spend time in the Word. We just want God to miraculously wave some, wave some wizard wand over us where we're just a burning heap of fire the rest of our lives. It does not work that way. You have got to be in the Word. You have got to be in the place of prayer. And if we are going to see God do a work in our homes, and our marriages, you need God to move in your life. We want to see God do something in Derby, Kansas. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, we must be people of prayer. He said, if my people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. You know, really, that's what it is about, is seeking the face of God. It is knowing Him. Seek my face. 
and turn from their wicked ways. The Holy Spirit has given me no specific revelation on why this is at the end of the verse, as far as things we're supposed to do. But part of me thinks that it could be because if it was at the front, we would have just tuned everything else out. Because you know what we don't want to hear is that we need to turn from our wicked ways. Often the people of God have this ability to focus on everybody else's wicked ways. But we're unwilling to see our own. And I will tell you, it is an epidemic right now. In the house of God, the wickedness that runs unchecked. It's an epidemic. We're living in a time that literally less than a century ago, people could not have believed would ever come to pass in the Christian church. We are ordaining homosexual men and women to be pastors of churches. I want to say something cautiously, and I want to deal with something carefully. What we don't know, we don't know. You know, a lot of people have been born and raised in churches that lied to them their whole life. There are people that literally spent their whole life in churches that haven't told them the truth about what sin is. That have told them it's okay to, to, to do this sin. It's okay to do this sin. That, that have made false, act, you know, false conclusions that because we all sin, it's okay to sin. This is your sin. This is that sin. And, and there's no... There's, there's, it's a false message. It's not, a true, it's not the true gospel. And... I also want to acknowledge that homosexual feelings are real. Same-sex attraction is real. There are people who battle same-sex attraction. But listen to me, and I say this tenderly and as lovingly as I can, it is still a sin. It is still wicked. And it must be repented of, just like all forms of fornication, including sex before marriage, including adultery, whatever it may be. It's wickedness. Not just homosexuality. But I use that because it is such a clear, and I will say, undeniable sin according to the word of God and yet we're at this place where we're ordaining people who are openly practicing the sin itself we're ordaining pastors or allowing spiritual leaders to teach who openly say that they don't believe this Many of these places that teach some of the things I'm speaking of have to say they don't believe this 
Otherwise, they're in trouble. I mean, what would they do if they said it was true? But how have we got to this place? Now, I want to bring it out to us, okay? So I picked some really easy, low-hanging fruit there. But what about us? What is the wickedness that we're not turning from? You know, the Bible says to him that knows to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. Wickedness doesn't always take on the form of this very clear crystal, oh, this scripture here says that's a sin. Wickedness at its heart is any rebellion against the holy God. To know what God has commanded and to refuse to do it, it's wicked, it's evil, and yet our ability to convince ourselves that our wickedness is not wickedness, it's mind-blowing. God said, that's the final piece there. And you'll find you won't get to that place of being willing to acknowledge your wickedness if you don't first humble yourself. That could be one of the very reasons we don't pray like we should. Because we know, we know we've got some stuff we need to repent of. We know we've got some stuff that needs to be taken out of the life. We know there's some wickedness going on. And the idea of really getting in an intimate place with just me and God to talk to God about what's God want to do, not real appealing when I'm living in wickedness, when I'm living in sin. But God said, that's the step. You've got to turn. He said, my people have got to turn from their wicked ways. Brothers and sisters, if we're going to see revival in our own lives, revival in our homes, if you're going to see revival in your own personal life, if we're going to see revival in our church, revival in our community, revival in our land, we have no way to get there without repenting of our wickedness. It's not possible. This uh, delusion that somehow it's possible to live a life of sin and live a life of wickedness and expect God to bless us in what we do because God's good and God's a God of grace, it is such a wicked, twisted delusion from hell itself and you will find those who buy it and those who, 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 who live it, that lie. Their worlds are worlds of destruction. There is no spiritual power. There is no favor of God. Their Christian life, if, the, if you want to call it that, it is dry. Now, he says, then. If you underline in your Bible, underline the word then. This is the great then. Then... I will hear from heaven. What a promise. This is the promise. Man, that's some hard stuff. And sometimes God just has to speak to us plain and hard. you got to humble yourself. Quit being so proud. You've got to pray. Quit thinking you can do everything on your own and seek the face of God and turn from your wicked ways. But here's the promise. Then I will hear from heaven.
Let me ask you a question. If you knew that you knew that you knew that you knew that the very next thing that you prayed for, God was going to answer, what would you pray for here in just a moment? I mean, you knew. You didn't wonder. It wasn't 50-50. It wasn't hope. I knew that God is going to hear from heaven and he's going to answer. What would you pray for this morning? I will tell you, when you get to this place with God and you live in this place and you know that you are in right standing with God and you know that he hears from heaven, it is almost impossible to not want to go spend time in prayer because you know that prayer changes things. You watch God answer your prayers before your very eyes. That is the promise, brothers and sisters. He will answer from heaven. That is awesome. We have a direct line to the one true God. He says, I will answer from heaven and will forgive their sin. Starts with us. We're the ones that need forgiven. And heal their land. This morning... I hope that you want and desire an awakening like I do. You know, I look at our community, and I love our community. I love Derby. True statement, with all of my heart, I love the churches in this community, including the ones that are teaching garbage. But I recognize they need to repent, and I recognize that if we're going to have revival and we're going to see you know, some, something that, that we remember for years to come of God doing something great, I recognize that in order for that to happen, there's got to be the preaching of truth. There has to be a turning of wickedness. And judgment, it begins in the house of God, brothers and sisters. It begins with us. That's what God said. It's about my people. The excuses that we make, we look around, we want to blame everything else. We want to blame society, we want to blame the media, we want to blame the politics. We blame, 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 blame. Meanwhile, we're continuing in our wickedness, we're not humbling ourselves, we're not praying, and we're saying, oh, if we could change all these other things, God would move. God does not need all those other things to change in order to move. He needs you to change to move in your life so that your prayers have power and influence. He needs us as his people. He said, if my people, he needs us to repent, us to humble ourselves, us to turn from our wicked ways, us to pray and seek his face. And the promise is he will hear from heaven. So it starts with us this morning.